Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to Kernels. I'm Christopher Hooten for The Independent. I'm here with my colleague Jacob Stilway. This is the bit where you say hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. That's a, some very good hello work Thank there. You. Um, so on the podcast this week, we've got Ethan Hawke. Um, yeah, he's going to be coming up in a little bit. Uh, me and Jacob been just kind of sleeping off the Emmys this week. Yeah, Back to man. normal after pulling a, a solid midnight till 6 or 7 a.m. shift. Tapping away our laptops, hard yeah. at work. Emmys Easy. is a... A bit, it's a weird one. It's a bit more straightforward than the Oscars, isn't it? Because there's no, they don't do the viral nonsense so much. They don't go in for big performances. Lady Gaga falling from the ceiling. It's more just like award. None of that. Award. I, f- I feel like TV stars. They're kind of less extra than film stars. Yeah. So I like that. Like, to the point, they're there for the, to win the awards, to get the awards, and go home. Yeah. yeah. This is a, this is a strange night because obviously Game of Thrones and Twin Peaks were the most talked about shows of the year, and maybe they're not. They weren't necessarily the best, but. They weren't there just out of like a nominations quirk, so it was left. Yeah, the field was left kind of wide open, really. It was for the first one in a while. It was quite exciting. Yeah, and I'm glad the Handmaid's Tale took it. Ultimately, the drama yeah. um, awards because yeah, it's doing something a bit different, and it's huge for Hulu. Nice, and uh, on to award season. There's going to be more Mate. more nighters coming up. Yeah, really are. Bring them on. Yeah. So you've been talking to Ethan Hawke. Yeah, uh, a favourite of yours. He right? is a favourite of mine. He's a uh, he's long time favourite. And it's the second time I've interviewed him, actually, which I mentioned to him straight, straight away, hoping he'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember you. Uh, didn't get that. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, great chat. <laughs> he started out, he was like, he's like, oh, remind, remind me. You know, like he kind of hinted at maybe, but he yeah. definitely didn't. But he was uh, an absolute um, hero as ever. And he he really is one of my favourite actors because he's just so... He's he's well in, he's well embedded in Hollywood, but he's just also so detached from it. Yeah, you can just tell he doesn't really bite into that, into you know being a Hollywood star. And he's so interested in talking about the little films that he starred in that not everyone might have seen. So he was very uh, happy to talk about a film called Good Kill from a few years ago, um, and also Predestination, which is a real cult hit that he clearly loves. And uh, just kind of wanted to get a little bit of promotion for in there, even though it was made a few years ago. Yeah. And I love that, you know? Yeah, he always seems like, he seemed, I mean, it's a cliche to say down to earth, but he does. He just seems a very personable guy, really. Yeah. He was texting his uh, his wife and kids who were flying in. Uh, and he was really, he's just really concerned that they, uh, he just wanted to find out that they'd had a good flight. Which <laughs> I just, you know, I was sweet. like, mate, you take your time. You take your time. <laughs> and he's like... I mean, looking back at his filmography, he's obviously very interested in human stories. Like, there's not a lot of capes or motion capture suits in there. It's all stuff a lot about life and love and growing up and that kind of stuff. Yeah, which is 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 part of the reason why I do love him. Even though it's important to say, I I didn't realise this, but it, it came out around the time I spoke to him. Valerian, the new Luke Besson film with Cara Delevingne, he plays Rihanna's pimp in it. Wow, he wears That's a cape a... and all sorts. He's so yeah. Rihanna Space Pimp is a yeah, mate. Diff- really going to stand out alongside like Gary, Dave, <laughs> and all his other like Jesse, <laughs> yeah, or Jesse, yeah. And um, talking of Jesse, I mean the, the interview through kind of 
my own attempts and then I realised he was happy to let it become this. It became a real dissection of the um, the Before trilogy, yeah, uh, directed by Linklater, which he clearly he is his most personal project. That and Boyhood, obviously, yeah. which he made over twelve years. If you guys haven't uh, watched the Before trilogy, just turn off this podcast. Just like stop just what you're doing. Now. Just go and watch it. It's three then f- come back after. Yeah, and then come back after because maybe. this is a real Although you breakdown. Might be, like, kind of picking yourself up off the floor <laughs> yeah. after, the, after the third film. It's like pretty uh, kind of a gut punch, isn't it? It is, and what I loved about this interview from what, from what he, he was saying about these films, because he was really nerding out about it, and he, he, you can tell he really likes to do that with these films, he kind of gave a bit of advice to those who might be a bit depressed at the end of the, at the, end of the series. Nice. Um, so yeah, I hope, I hope fans get something from this interview. Yeah, and I hope we get another instalment of that, tri- that well, what, do you, what is it, a quadrilogy? The, it's, it's, it'll be a quadrilogy if it's yeah. another, another one, which... He hints at uh, a potential. I'm not going to say how, but he does, yeah. which got me very excited. Is there going to be like maybe there'll be like an eighth film where they're just at Dignitas and it's just <laughs> <laughs> <to> the end? <laughs> I don't know what that would be before <laughs> the afterlife. I don't know something along those lines. Knowing um, knowing him and uh, Linklater, they've probably got something <laughs> mental lined up. They've said as well, like this is this isn't um, this isn't mentioned in this interview, but they've said that the last one they ever want to do is with each other. And they wanted to be uh, a Shakespeare adap- adaptation of King Lear. That is a very nice way to cap off a career to Wouldn't get it down. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, without further ado, let's just go straight into the interview, I think. All right, this is uh, Jacob with Ethan Hawke. So I've actually, uh, we actually met before. When were we? I met you uh, when you were promoting Good Kill. Oh, yeah. It's funny, I was actually thinking about Good Kill this morning because it, the whole universe, political landscape is mm. so changed that, you know, movies are kind of dictated by the time and the moment they come out. Sure. And nobody was interested in politics when that movie came out. Nobody wanted to talk about politics. We were all kind of in a kind of happy haze about, didn't want to think about drone strikes or uncomfortable things. And I was imagining that if Good Kill came out today, it would fare a lot better because the politics is having a different place in our dinner table conversations sure. than, it, than it was four years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think about my, uh, your films in that uh, context a lot? Well, you think about, you see how much, you know, the, the power of the zeitgeist and how it moves around, you know, like, like when a movie like Gattaca came out, the zeitgeist wasn't interested in that movie. Mm-hmm. But over 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. That movie comes up all the time. People always want to talk to me about that movie. Whereas a movie like Boyhood hits the zeitgeist. Yeah. You, you know, it's like, it's exact, it, it somehow is what we wanted to be talking about then. Yeah. Um, and that's a, the success of movies is, you know, it's dictated obviously by the quality, but it's also an intersection of what people want to be thinking and talking about. Yeah, I can see and, that. And, and, and sometimes you're in the right place at the right time, and sometimes you can't. You know, you can't buy it. You can't get anybody to sit and listen. Yeah. But it's funny you mentioned Gattaca because that is such a great film. Oh, thanks. And it really is. And it's one of them films that I guess, uh, I mean, I I was quite young when it came out, but speaking to my friends about it when I was, you know, a teenager, a lot of them hadn't seen it and I introduced Mm -hmm. that film to them. So it has kind of endured. It's it's much more, you know, people, my gauge is what people want to talk to me about. You know, you don't, you know, movies are different than theater because when you're in the theater you have a direct relationship with the audience but I wasn't there when you watched Gattaca if you came to see me in a play we were in a room together mm-hmm. right yeah. but you know 
and the movies that people want to talk to me about are, are quite often yeah, that's my relationship to the audience yeah I had a cop pull me over the other day this is a strange story but I did this movie that very few people have seen it's called Predestination it's about time travel and stuff and I had the weird a cop actually pulled me over and I was like what is it he goes you know I'm sorry to bother you I just have to ask you what happened at the end of that movie <laughs> and so so I'm like I'm watching Predestination establish a kind of cult status because it had, the audiences have a mysterious relationship it's the it was the most illegally downloaded movie <laughs> of its year so that's it's you know it's not exactly box office no, but but it it's something. Counts for something. Man. Counts for something. It counts yeah. for something. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Um, are you aware uh, of your status as an actor who, you know, you're one of those actors that if you're in a film and a person didn't really fancy seeing the film, when they see you're in it, they're probably going to go and watch it. Well, that's nice of you to say. I think that if any human being in any pr profession, if they spend whatever amount of time they spend thinking about their status is direct proportion to what kind of blowhard jerk they are. Do you, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, I get that. It's something you... I think Donald Trump spends a lot of time thinking about his status and it's exactly why I wouldn't want to be at a dinner table with him. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the, the obvious answer to uh, this next question is, I mean, I'm not going to say what it is because it's so obvious, but which, which of your characters, which your, uh, you know, whole string of characters has resonated with you the most? Um, or stayed with you the longest? Well, Cause I, stayed I with mean, me the longest. The key word here being longest. Yeah, it would have to be, <laughs> would have to be um, the Before Trilogy. You know, Boyhood and the Before Trilogy are deeply connected to my soul, you know, for lack of a better word. I, I've i worked on Jesse, which is the main character from the before movies, you know, at nine-year intervals. Through, you know, I started working on that character when I was 25, and the last time I was 41 or something. You know, so, I mean, it's been with me, and I've gotten to put a lot of my own life into those movies. And Boyhood is only short a couple of years. I mean, mm -hmm. it's... It was 12 years working on that character. Mm. And so those, those ones, those movies are, um, are a part of me. Mm -hmm. In a way that other movies are just, are one window. You, you know, Training Day was an important moment sure. in my life, but it was just a short little window, you know. Um, there are other movies. You know, I did this movie with Richard Linklater called Tape that very few people have seen, but that was for me personally was kind of a breakthrough for my creative life mm -hmm. of like taking acting to the next level a kind of more grown up level mm. so you, your working relationship with Richard Linklater would you say it's probably I mean you've worked with Andrew Nichol you've worked mm -hmm. with Antoine Fuqua a mm -hmm. lot of times as well but would you describe your working relationship with um, Richard as probably your most defining 
Well, yeah, I've just done. I mean, I've done nine movies with him. Mm. You know, it's a lot. I've done three with Andrew. I've done three with uh, Antoine. Um, I've done two with the Spirit Brothers. I've done. I mean, I've worked with a bunch of people twice. I'm proud of that working with people again because uh, being creative together is hard. But if it goes well, you can kind of get into the next room with each other mm. you know oftentimes I'll finish a movie for example I finished Before Sunrise and I felt ready to start it you, wow. you know because you get to a level of intimacy and you kind of get into the deep end of the pool and like damn I wish we started here mm-hmm. well on Before Sunset I got to yeah. you know we already were in it and with Antoine and Denzel is the same thing you know you get to you get to skip the boring five weeks of getting to know you Yeah, you, you know and you kind of dive right in and I like that yeah just get, get thrown, mm-hmm. thrown in there mm-hmm. yeah and um, talking of the before films mm-hmm. uh, it's quite funny because I, I actually uh, met Richard yeah. uh, last year ahead of Everybody Wants Some uh-huh. which is uh-huh. obviously a great film uh-huh. and um, we were speaking quite heavily about, about you and about the before films and about boyhood um, and he mentioned that um, he views uh, Before Midnight uh-huh. to be a Rorschach test Oh, for yeah. his friends, yeah. yeah, couples, Absolutely. who are his friends. I agree. Is that, yeah, I was going to ask I'll your do some on that. interviews. I did an interview with a guy, actually at the New Yorker, um, about Before Midnight, and he found the movie so depressing. And I remember saying to him, man, that's something for you got to think about. Because I meet other people that find the movie absolutely uplifting. Really? And... And I explained this to him. He said, nobody finds that movie uplifting. I said, that's not true. People who are happily married find it uplifting. He's like... And it, it stopped him. And all three of those movies, in their own way, are their own Rorschach test about mm-hmm. where you are with... People who are deeply romantic, you know, before sunrise ends with them saying, let's meet again in six months. And people who believe in love, they think they're definitely going to meet again. People who are really cynical and are carrying a lot of hurt around with them think that's over, you know. And the same, you know, the ending of Before Sunset is its own Zen cone. You know, he's missing this plane and everything. But Before Midnight is definitely the hardest of the films because it. Both the other two films deal with romantic projection, and the third film deals with romantic reality. I've always found it a deeply optimistic film because of how engaged with each other they are. People often think that just because people are fighting that something bad is happening. Um, and oftentimes the opposite is true. That, Like if I look back at my own life and I see the scratchiest, most hurtful parts, those are the parts where the most growing was happening. Mm-hmm. And if that's happening together, I have a lot of hope. At the end of Before Midnight, I have a lot of hope for Jesse and Celine. But at least they're not living a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're engaged with each other. Mm. It's a hard relationship for sure, but I see a lot of love in that, in that movie. And did you feel that for Jesse, the character as well? Do you think he has a lot of hope for him and Celine? Yeah. At the end of that movie, I think he has more hope than Celine does. There's something that, in, that I find interesting about the trilogy itself, which is in the first film. I mean, this you have to geek out in the movies to care about this, but um, in the first film, she's the more romantic one, and he's cool and you know more interested in his career and life and trying to be you know I don't know what, but but it's not romance that's really so. In the third film, and I think this is true of how a lot of the women that I know, she's. 
looking square in the eyes of how tough the world is for being a woman Mm -hmm. and that it's a lot harder than she thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. and that romantic love is not answering a lot of the questions that she wanted and I don't think Jesse had any of those expectations that romance was going to answer for him so he's a lot happier Mm -hmm. I think he's clearly invested in that relationship and he's clearly invested in loving that woman and her problems are stronger and I think more developmental you you know I think it's it's a tough you know I I see this like I said with a lot of women I know so I I relate to it and I I don't see it without a lot of hope yeah that makes me happy too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's how right. I really feel. I, I find it this something about the last line of that movie about all all being in a space time continuum, and there's a a play on time on misquoting time about uh, was I forget the exact line, but it's like that's the best night I never had, or mm-hmm. you, you know, or mm-hmm. um, and it's a space time. We're all we all want to. Uh, get to the end where we're on this plateau where everything's happening but the truth is we're caught while we have the gift of being alive we're caught Mm -hmm. in this constant play of things going well and then they go badly and then they go well again and then they go badly again and what we thought was bad ended up being good what we thought was good ended up being bad and so life is so much more mysterious it's so interesting to hear because it's I think those films will resonate people would be discussing them films in the pub forevermore I hope so I hope so Uh, talk uh, like you have a screenwriting credit you and Julie on Before Sunset and For Midnight Mm -hmm. I just really when I watch them films I really am interested to know from you uh, what the process was how 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 you know I find it absolutely endlessly fascinating because each one happened differently the first one Rick had this idea of a movie and he and this woman Kim Krizan they worked on uh, an idea of a script I read the script um, it was clearly it was a very strange script uh, I mean, you know, it was really weird I mean at, at one point it had a page and a half monologue J- Jesse had this monologue about John Huston's The Dead and it's like listen Rick nobody but you <laughs> wants to hear like a thesis on that film in a movie if they can go read about it but and he was like well it's just a placeholder I want him to share his passion for art I'm like okay good okay and but really what it was is Rick came to Julie and I with kind of a two this construction of uh, he wanted to make a movie I remember this is what he said to me I, I want to make a movie about where or the only thing that happens is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, which is connecting with another human being. Like people say, "Oh, the greatest thing happened." Like I, he was like, "I haven't been elected governor. I don't know. I've never been involved in a helicopter gunfight or met a space alien. But my life has had amazing things. And when I connect with someone, he's like, I'm challenging myself to make a movie about that connection. And so I need you guys to connect." So you got to help me make this movie. Wow. And so he had the bullet points of, you know, it was always, this was his dream. They were going to meet on a train. He was going to talk her into coming off. They were going to kiss on the same uh, Ferris wheel that the third man was shot on. You know, then as the night progressed, you know, he had these bullet points where he knew what was going to happen. He knew what the ending of the movie was going to be. But coloring it all in, he wanted Julie and I to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he needed, if the, to make a movie about connection. He's actually very moving when talking about this because one of the things he'd really, when I met him, 
he was reeling from a little bit was his inability in his own mind to make the female characters as dynamic as the male characters in Dazed and Confused. He didn't feel he succeeded in realizing that, that the movie has a very male gaze, mm. Dazed and Confused, and it wasn't his goal. I mean, the movie's a great film. It's yeah. one of my favorite films of all time. But it's not, it is a boy's movie, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. Um, and so he was really coming to Julie saying, look, I want, I want Celine. I mean, he let her, he said, what do you want her to be named? I want, I want you to contribute. Who is she? Wow. Tell me about her. Who is, like, let's create her together. And he said the same thing to me. So that was the first movie. And we walked away from it. And then we said goodbye to those characters. And I didn't think anything was going to happen with it until Rick was making Waking Life. And this whole movie about dreams and he wanted Julie and I to write another scene with him. He said, hey, let's get together. I want the Jesse and Celine to appear in this dream movie. And we had so much fun writing that scene that we walked away. We were like, God, we gotta, we gotta do this. Right. We just gotta work together yeah. again. It's too unique. The energy between the three of us is very strange and it felt like, um, like, ooh, you put your finger on that electrical socket and there was energy still there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then we started thinking, well, what would that third movie be? And we struggled with it for a couple of years. We had no, we'd, well, maybe it's this idea, maybe it's that idea. And then Linkletter came to, a, I was doing a book signing of a, I had a book coming out and, and at the signing, he was like, this is how the second movie starts. Jesse's written a book about the night with Celine and Celine should show up at a book signing. And I was like, yeah. And, and he was like, I just don't know what happens after that. And I was like, nothing, that's it. That's the whole movie. That, that'll be it. And we literally got in Rick's pickup truck and we were driving out somewhere and, and we called Julie. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's, we were like, yes, that's it. A real time movie about yes, yes, yes. And, um, and so that one started that way, the way the three of us just kind of conceived of it as a whole. And, the th- and I could get into the micro-ness of how it happened, but they each happened differently. And the, and the third one um, was stranger than that. And the third one that... We kind of agreed on what it would be, but we had the, didn't have very much written. By the we'd because of the the third one, we really wrote together yeah. in a room. Yeah, yeah, Just, that was more of a collaborative. It, it was, uh, you know, and that was a battle. Straightforward process. That was a battle. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I bet. Um, do you reckon there'll be another one in the future? I don't know. I I I would have said after the second one that there was definitely going to be a third one because I do feel there's something. I feel complete in that the first one starts with the older couple, couple in their 40s arguing on mm-hmm. a train. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the third one, we've become that couple, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's a, if it were to continue, it would change shape. I think it would, it would, it would be something else. Like mm-hmm. Julie and Rick and I might work together and we might revisit those characters, but it'll, It'll need a new burst of energy. It'll need. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, have, I we're not allowed to think about it until five years after the. That's how we've done that's it every time. Old. We we agree to like waking waking life is five years after before sunrise. Yeah. And then um, before midnight, we met five years after before sunset. So we're gonna meet five years after the release of before midnight and talk about it. And we'll see where we wind up. I will keep my ears open. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I very quickly, when I um, when I last saw you, you mentioned that you and Richard have a pact. The last film you're ever going to make mm-hmm. is King, King Lear. Lear. Yeah, yeah. Is that still? Is that still? Well, I'm so we're, we're preparing for it. I, um, that's I'm. 
He's got to do his homework to know what he's going <laughs> to offer that material. But that's our. We both have three daughters. Chilled. Seemed very chill. Yeah, we both have three daughters, and um, uh, what's his name, Peter Brook and um, Schofield made a great King Lear. So we have to figure out what we have to offer it, but it gives us an end goal. End mm-hmm. game. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right towards. Um, and you've got directorial. Uh, you've got your, you've got a film coming out. Blaze is that mm-hmm. right? Uh, what's the um, what's the story behind Blaze? And um, I, sorry, I noticed that you're not going to be in it. And uh, what led to that decision? I've been directing a bunch of theater and having a really great experience. And I I was really hypnotized by the story of Blaze Foley. And I have this friend who's an amazing musician. Uh, who I love and I basically I was kind of I don't know I really wanted to tell that story and I wanted to make a gonzo indie movie like the ones I have heard and read about and we went down to New Orleans and with about five bucks and a camera and we came out with a pretty pretty amazing movie about this musician Blaze Foley who was shot and killed in 1989 so hopefully we'll be I'll be finished with that in around November. I'm editing it and doing the sound design now and everything. And so, you know, it'll probably come out Sundance South by Berlin. We'll yeah. probably premiere it somewhere in one of that festival period. And uh, but uh, it's it was definitely one of the most exciting. I poured everything I've learned into that. Great, right, can't wait to see it. Yeah, I think you'll like. Thank it. you so much for your time. Thanks, Cheers. Yeah, thank you. Rick Cheers. is in it. You know, Link oh, no it. way. Yeah, he plays a record executive. Even better. <laughs> All right, so that was Colonels for this week. That was uh, Jacob Stallworthy with Ethan Hawke. Hope you guys enjoyed the chat. Um, thanks, Jacob, for coming on as Thank always. Thank you very much, mate. And uh, yeah, cheers, guys, for listening. And um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, you know, if you've got any questions, any suggestions, any th- any people you want to see on the podcast, do hit us up on Twitter, just at Colonels. Love to hear back from you, get some feedback. So yeah, get us on there, and uh, we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.